I can't live for 40 years doing something I feel apathetic about and be on my deathbed and look back at a life of regret. That's yeah. the most, that's the scariest thing to me in life is to feel regret. Yeah. And so I'll do everything I can to avoid regret. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Patrick Drake, who is one of the co-founders and head chef of HelloFresh. Now, I've interviewed a ton of great entrepreneurs and investors, but I was extremely excited to do this one. I've watched the growth of HelloFresh from day one. So for those of you who don't know who HelloFresh are and what they do, they were one of the first companies to commercialize meal kits. Now, meal kits, how they work, you go online onto the company's website, you check out their menu, you pick the meals that you want for dinner, then they'll deliver you the box with the ingredients down to the measurement along with a card with the recipe and instructions on there. I watched them go from a startup to a well-funded startup to a unicorn to a publicly traded company. So you can see why this is a bit of a big deal. On this episode, we talk with Patrick about how we went from being a corporate lawyer to hiding in the office kitchen to cook on his lunch breaks to co-founding one of the greatest startup concepts, in my opinion, of our time. Okay, let's jump straight into the action. So Patrick, thank you for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. So Patrick, when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself? Um, I suppose I call myself Patrick Drake, the head chef and co-founder of HelloFresh UK. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very modest intro. <laughs> um, or actually, to be, to be fair, yeah, actually, if I'm, if I'm introduced, that's if I'm introducing myself in a formal capacity, but if I'm at a party or I'm out somewhere and someone says, oh, what do you do? I just say, oh, I'm actually a cookery teacher. I teach people how to oh, Wow, this is even more modest. Wow, why do you do that? Because you can't be bothered to go for it. Well, anything. just because, like, uh, ultimately, the thing that I'm most passionate about in what I do is teaching people. I, loved, I love teaching people. And it just so happens that I know a thing or two about food, and that's the thing I can teach. So I like that idea of being a teacher. I think it's a, such a beautiful thing. If you, to, to have a skill and be able to pass it on to somebody and know that that thing is actually going to make their life better, um, that gives me a real, real buzz. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. So before we get into HelloFresh and obviously the amazing work that you guys have done here mm-hmm. and achieved, um, Walk us through the, the early stages of Patrick's life. What were you doing before HelloFresh? So, uh, it has been um, varied. I feel like I've lived a few lives already. And when it first started, well, when we go way back to when I was about eight years old, my first little, uh, my first little hustle was washing cars mm. uh, in my neighbourhood with my bucket, my sponge and some soap. <laughs> and I would go around and knock on people's doors with these big puppy dog eyes and say, I'll wash your car for a fiver. And um, and then and then did that. And then um, 
I don't know, when I was at school, God, what did I want to do? I wanted to be an astronaut first. Wow. Then I wanted to be a fighter pilot because um, that was the era of uh, Top Gun. Um, but then inevitably those those things got beaten out of me, those, those um, grandiose dreams. Went to uh, university and did law, uh, law and French, which was not my highest excitement <laughs> by a long way. Yeah, and when I left, um, when I left university, I thought the last thing on earth that I'm going to do is um, become a lawyer. It was just the most dull thing. Uh, and then, of course. Uh, Friends of mine, some of them who hadn't even done a law degree, they hadn't even suffered what I had suffered, said, oh, we're going to do a conversion course and we're going to get a job in a law firm. And I remember thinking, I will be damned if you are going to earn more money than me. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, all the right reasons. So I decided, right, I'm going to do law. So um, I uh, went to law school and then applied for a training contract and got on at Clifford Chance and uh, and off I went. So yes, it the first big kind of career thing was being a lawyer. Actually, before that, a copywriter. I was a copywriter oh, wow. at Ladbrokes. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I was. I, I wasn't was, on your LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that is no. Yeah, I, there are a few little things that I've omitted from LinkedIn. I just put the the, the big the big stuff. The big ones. Yeah. Um, Goldman Sachs. Yeah, Goldman Hello Sachs, Clifford Charles, Hello Fresh. There was no mention of Ladbrokes um, or the restaurant where I did washing up at weekends either. Actually, that's another thing. I did washing up in a restaurant once, and um, it was my first experience of being in a professional kitchen. And uh, at the end of the second uh, time I went there, the woman said to me, Patrick, um, here's your money and I won't be needing you to come back. And I was like, wait, what what do you mean? She said, well, um, when somebody washes up for me, I need them to sparkle and you, you don't sparkle. And I was destroyed because clearly I did not take this as like sparkling dishes. I was like, this is a reflection on my character. (laughs) You know, I don't sparkle. That it's all ruined. Oh, That's right. it. It's over. Um, taste of failure. Yeah, it was like it was, that was a that was a really hard one to swallow. Actually, I was I was genuinely upset. Um, I felt such rejection. Anyway, so that law was the thing. Um, I absolutely detested it. Frankly, I all of the reasons I went into it turned out to be things that weren't uh, exciting at all. Mm. I, you know, I wanted to wear pinstripe suits. I wanted to. Um, have conference calls because it sounded so like it was like people would say yeah no I can't speak right now Patrick I'm going to a conference call and I think bloody hell that sounds so powerful I want to I want to I want to have a piece of that action like when people told me they were going to have a meeting I thought bloody hell are you having a meeting that sounds big so um, of course I got there the reality was nothing like LA Law or Ali McBeal or any of these things or suits yeah that's probably a more contemporary example Um, it was just like me filing documents and crossing T's, dotting I's, and um, yeah, not great. So I was always looking for a way out. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the same group of us would meet in the in the canteen there at Clifford Chance and Canary Wharf. We would sit there, try and hatch plans, think about how we were gonna just dig our little escape tunnel out of Canary Wharf into a life that we that we were more enthusiastic about. And and it got to a certain point where I just got really sick of talking, like mm. really sick of talking and sick of coming up with ideas, talking so enthusiastically about them and then doing nothing about them at all. Yeah. 
And then when I landed on an idea that I genuinely loved, but was so freaking crazy that I thought I can't even talk to people about this. That's what I chose to do. I chose to actually not say anything at all. And so instead of expending all of my enthusiasm for the idea in the fantasy of just talking about it over the lunch table, I bottled up that excitement. I kept it inside me and I channeled it into actually making the thing itself happen. And it was a funny thing because I think that almost overnight I took this decision and almost overnight my attitude and the way people perceived me definitely changed because they could see that there's something like Patrick's up to something like what is that like he's got this little glint in his eye this little smile on his face like he's definitely up to something and I was because secretly in the background I was plotting to get into food Mm. um, and to become a chef and is this when you started moonlighting and working in the kitchen at lunchtime yeah so Apologies to anyone who's heard this story before, and you can fast forward about five minutes if you have, because <laughs> um, I have told it a few times. But um, but basically, I was talking to a friend of mine in LA, and um, she works in TV, and, and I said to her, um, you know, I was telling her about the fact that I wasn't so keen on my job, and, um, and she said, oh, you know, we're looking for TV show formats at the moment, and I said, oh, I've got an idea for a cooking show. So I told her my idea. And it was kind of just a jokey, again, fantasy conversation. But then a week later, she called me up and she said, the people at the network love your idea. They said we should film a pilot and, you know, why don't you pretend to be the chef? And what what was so unique about this cooking show? So the cooking show, there were two concepts. The first was called Breakfast in Bed. Mm. It's a little bit saucy. (laughs) Um, It may have involved a chef who had clearly been... uh, working out a lot and um, and and not eating many carbohydrates, rolling out of bed in the morning in his pyjama bottoms um, and cooking a healthy breakfast in the kitchen and showing people how to create the very English concept of elevenses. Mm. So a little bit of that breakfast, take it with you in a, in a packed lunch so that you can have it as a mid-morning snack. Nice. And, um, and it was about getting people into healthy eating habits. So, um, and then there was another concept as well called... Uh, Oh my goodness. <laughs> Dinner with Patrick, it was called. It's so cheesy. Um, and that's a whole other story. Um, so, yeah, so she said, yeah, let's do this. And, and I was actually sitting in my office and I just thought, you know, why, like, sod it, why not? I've got nothing, I've got nothing to lose. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I'm just going to, like, fall flat on my face and be embarrassed and right. what have you. But, is you know, but what's the best that can happen? I could have a TV show in LA. Amazing. Um, so didn't tell a single soul spent the next 10 weeks preparing for the the show um, so that would mean if I was washing up at home I would scrub the plates and I'd be talking out loud saying so the next thing I'm going to do is put some soap suds on the plate the reason why is I want to cut through the grease on the plate and if I was shaving I'd be like right now the reason why I'm shaving in an upwards direction is because XYZ like, meanwhile my yeah. housemate is like what's going on what have you been smoking something because you're acting really strangely and because I wasn't telling anybody about this um, I really thought that for a start I would you know expend all my enthusiasm for the idea and talking but also I just thought people are going to think I'm a nutcase yeah Um, so 10 weeks later fly out to LA 
Next thing I know, I'm in front of an entire studio full of cameras, lights, sound, director on this little wheelie chair, um, runners and, and all the rest of it. And you had never and, done anything like this? And I had like never this. been in front of a camera in my life. And suddenly the, the gravity of my situation dawned on me mm. that all of these people are here doing their job that they know how to do. And they're all looking at me. And in my mind, the story is they're thinking, who the hell is this guy? Like, who, who, who does he think he is? And, um, and I was petrified. Like, when they said action, my heart was pounding out of my chest. Um, they were like, no, stop, stop, cut, cut. Somebody, we're going to have to get him another T-shirt. I can see the sweat marks in it. Because I was like, in, I was in absolute panic mode. Wow. And, um, and I calmed myself down. And and got through it, and we filmed we filmed the the pilot, and it was it was all right, you know. Considering it was the first time I've been in front of a camera, it was okay, but it was definitely not my my shining like moment by any means, and it didn't go anywhere. So I got back to the UK, and I was full of hope and and what have you, but but it just kind of fizzled into nothing, yeah. and so I was left with this this decision of like, okay, what am I going to do now? Is it either just a fun story that I'm going to tell people, or do I commit myself to this crazy dream uh, and, 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 and try and make it happen? Yeah. And, and that's, that's the decision I took because, again, I just thought, I can't live for 40 years doing something I feel apathetic about and be on my deathbed and look back at a life of regret. That's yeah. the most, that's the scariest thing to me in life is to feel regret. Yeah. And so I'll do everything I can to avoid regret. And actually, it's been uh, it's been said and and studied that when people are on their deathbed, the thing that they regret the most are the things that they didn't do, yeah. the life that they didn't live. And I wasn't willing to do that, and I'm still not willing to do that. So, so I wrote down on the top of a piece of paper, I will have a TV show by this date and I will live in LA and I'll be working in food for like permanently. That'll be my job. Yeah. And then from that big grandiose statement at the top of a piece of paper, I wrote the six, seven, eight steps, whatever it was, that would give me at least a shot at the top goal because I had no clue how I was actually going to tangibly make that top goal manifest. But... I knew how to do steps one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And those were things that were hard to do. But if I committed to do them, there was no barrier to entry apart from my own motivation. Right. So, for instance, it was start a YouTube channel, um, cooking recipes in your kitchen um, with a camera and, um, and learn how to edit those videos and just start posting videos every single week so you can learn how to be in front of the camera and get mm -hmm. comfortable. Right. It was um, go and work in any restaurant that will teach me for free uh, so that you can start learning the techniques and learning more recipes and, and, and really gain more confidence. It was study cookbooks. It was don't go out with your friends so much and put the time and the money and the energy into this project. So again, all of those things, I could do them. And having done all of those things, it didn't guarantee that I would be able to get the top goal. Which was the TV show Which in was LA. the TV show in LA and working in food for the rest of my life. But what it did guarantee was that when the opportunity came up, 
I would be ready to take it. And they say that luck, luck is not something I actually believe in, but they say that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Mm. And I believe that. Like, if you work super, super, super hard at your craft or whatever it is that you want to do, you have to have blind faith that at some point the opportunity is going to arise, that something is going to happen. And it is blind faith because when, for instance, I was in a basement kitchen in Brindiza, the Spanish restaurant, taking bones out of fish on a Saturday afternoon when I've got text messages from my friends coming through saying, oh, we're in the park having a barbecue, where are you? You're thinking to yourself, what the hell am I doing? Mm. Why am I putting all of this effort in? I can't. Even, I cannot see remotely where the TV show, where the big dream is going to come from, but you just have to keep on plugging away. You have to keep chipping away at, at that thing. And as I say, when the opportunity comes up, then you'll be ready to grab it. Yeah. So... Yeah, to go back to your point, I was moonlighting. I was working in the, I was working in the fine dining kitchen of my law firm on the thirtieth floor in lunch times in secret. I would go up there and help the chefs out, and then I'd go back to my desk as if nothing had happened. I'd been out for a sandwich. Um, in the evenings, I would get a cab to uh, a restaurant in Mayfair, and I would work in there. At weekends, I was working in Brindisa, and eventually, I just thought enough's enough. If I want to go for this. Um, well actually what really happened is that someone a bunch of people that I work with came into one of the restaurants one evening after service uh-huh. as I was walking out of the kitchen in Chef's Whites mm. and um, and I was busted so it kind of it became a bit awkward at work after that because they were like what are you doing like this is really weird behaviour Patrick and um, so actually I went and resigned and I went and I thought to myself, and this is some, okay. This is something I think is really important, and I and I really think that that this is something that people could um, perhaps use to their advantage. I believe, grandiosely or not, that when you in living your life, you are writing a story. You're writing the story of your life, and quite frankly, for me at least, I want to write a story that's an incredible story of adventure and and um and daring and romance and all of these amazing things i want to write a story that someone would want to read about Mm. and so when i thought about for instance do um i'm going to resign i could have just given the guy my my senior partner um a letter saying i resigned but instead just before i went into his office i sent him a youtube link to the title sequence to the to the cooking pilot i did in la right so I was committed at that point. I walked into his office, sat down. I said, I'm going to resign. He said, to be fair, it doesn't really surprise me. I didn't feel like your heart was in it. Um, are you going to go to a, another law firm? Or are you going to go to a bank? And I said, well, actually, I've just sent you a link to something on YouTube, and this is what I want to do. So he um, swivels his chair around, looks at me kind of quizzically, clicks on the link, and then up pops this ridiculous title sequence where yours truly is running down a beach in LA topless and then like flipping some food in a frying pan and he just looked at me and was like get out like seriously (laughs) what um and and then yeah things genuinely became awkward after that because it was like everyone just thought this guy's lost his marbles so I left right and um and then I went into food like kind of more full time then I was just scrabbling around doing 
jobs here and there. And, yeah. and I ended up actually in working in the Fat Duck in Bray for Heston Blumenthal, which was awesome. I did a stage there, which is basically like a, a short apprenticeship. Right. And um, the reason why that happened was because I had managed to blag my way into the GQ Awards after party one evening. Um, and this is my attitude was like, if I can, if I go out enough and I meet enough people, I will eventually meet the person that changes the course of my life. Mm. And again, very grandiose thinking. But the fact is, no one ever found their dreams down the back of their sofa with like a handful of change and the remote control. Yeah. You need to get out there. You need to meet people. You need to stack the odds in your favor. So the GQ Awards was one of those pieces of that jigsaw. And uh, and I went there, saw him. He'd just won this award. Everyone wanted to talk to him. But I thought, if I can talk to him, this could be a game changer for me. But then, of course, my next thought was, well, who that? Who am I to talk to Heston Blumenthal? I'm an, I'm nobody. Like, why? What? What am I? Why would he want to talk to me? That's the little voice of fear creeping yeah. in and start giving you giving me reasons to cop out. And then, as because I've trained it into myself now, the moment that voice starts telling me those things, I'm like, oh, now I have to go and speak to him. Yeah, <laughs> because I'm never gonna let that voice yeah, beat uh, me down because yeah. it's that regret thing. I'm never gonna feel regret at the things I didn't do. So I started walking towards him before I could even change my mind. And next thing I know, I'm in front of him, and just dived into the conversation, gave him my one minute sales pitch, and then at the end of it, said, "If I could come and peel potatoes in your kitchen, it'd be the greatest honor of my life." <laughs> he obviously just thought. You poor sod! Like I can make, I can make that dream come true, and and he did. And so he um he gave me a day working there, and a day turned into a day a week, two days a week, and I would go backwards and forwards whenever I could, and work there. And um, so what was that? What was the point between quitting your job and then starting the Hello Fresh? Mm. Like, how long were you in this limbo phase for? Couple of years. Wow. Yeah, couple of years. Um. I had a little diversion into the nightclub industry. It's not something that I uh, tend to talk about a whole lot. I've got to say, though, it taught me a lot about um, branding because um, I was doing marketing for a bunch of different clubs and I was running this concierge service, which made sure people got looked after when they went to different uh, high-end nightclubs in London. And we would create a lot of events for people. Um, So it was events and parties and different brands. So I was constantly thinking about creating experiences for people and Mm. really looking like delving into the detail of making sure that people have a, a smooth experience of something. And it actually taught me an incredible amount. So it was interesting because I, I think I took from... From law, I took a, a very um, high level of attention to detail yeah. um, and, a, and a very solid work ethic. Uh, I also then had this branding experience. I had the cooking experience and it created, uh, yeah, it created a skill set which, which subsequently became really useful to me. Yeah. So then how did the idea for HelloFresh come about and how did you start? So... HelloFresh started in, it was November 2011, I got an email from a friend which said, uh, Patrick, some these guys that I know, uh, they're looking to start a food business and they'd really love to talk to somebody who's got knowledge around like 
food about about recipe development and what mm. have you you should definitely catch up with them so off I trotted down to Farringdon and uh, chatted to a bunch of people who had become my co-founders of HelloFresh in the UK and uh, and then about a month later we kind of drifted away a little bit for, for a few weeks because it was Christmas time by that point came back in January and said right we're going to go for it and two weeks later, we were packing the first 10 bags of shopping for HelloFresh uh, in my living room in Old Street. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm. Back up. What were you packing and what? how did you know this thing was even going to be a thing? So the way it worked was we, um, so our global, global founders and global CEOs, Dominic and Thomas, they had uh, they had seen a similar concept in Sweden, uh, but I think that concept was based more around recipe boxes for families. Yeah. But they just felt as though it was something that could work for uh, young couples, particularly in busy cities. So they got some seed capital, um, and Rocket it, Internet exactly from Rocket Internet, and and it was Dominic and Thomas that contacted. Uh, the guys in London who I then spoke to and they also uh, set up a founding team in the Netherlands and Australia mm. so we had four countries going at the same time mm. and uh, in terms of those first 10 recipes um, sorry the first 10 bags of shopping we it was really funny I mean we we shot the recipes in my kitchen we went and emptied the supermarket shelves around the area. We printed uh, a clip art logo uh, from um, the print shop around the corner from my house. Recipe cards on paper. The recipe cards on paper. The, uh, the, the cheese was wrapped in, chopped by my own fair hand and wrapped in little bits of cling film, <laughs> handwritten thank you cards wow. to all of the customers. And, and it was bags of shopping. It wasn't boxes as we have today. It wasn't. It looked nothing like the product that we have now. It was so scrappy. But off we went. We delivered it by hand to basically our parents, our friends, anyone who would just uh, humour the idea. And and then off we went. And the idea was as I think it was. I think it was Evan Spiegel. I'm not sure. It was like the founder of Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah. He said, um, we threw ourselves off the cliff and we built the plane on the way down. And I, I mean, he definitely wasn't the first person to say that, but right. okay. <laughs> I think he said that. Okay. So, yeah. Like, I, I'd love to find out who the original person was because I keep, I keep quoting them. Yeah. I'm not giving it to and, um, and, and I do, I just, I just, I do love that, um, that analogy because it did feel that way. We, we just ran with it and it was definitely not perfect. Uh, but what we were doing is we were learning with real feedback from real people, spending money, mm. and and that meant that it just really put a fire underneath us to get it done fast. Yeah, and to respond to what people actually wanted, not what we hypothesised that they would want. Um, so how, how were people finding out about you guys in the beginning? So it was it was really just a question of trying everything. Um, we would dress up as carrots and run around tube stations giving out flyers, uh, which subsequently turned out to not be strictly okay with the authorities. <laughs> uh, we would go to food fairs and try and make a big hoopla with loudspeakers and doing speed omelette challenges, getting people cooking omelettes and making a whole lot of noise. 
Um, really, really, we would try anything. We even in I think it was about the it was the end of the first year. We decided to go go really big, and we just we decided yeah we're going to do our first TV ad, and we went all out. I mean we we're like big big budget. We're like we're going to spend five thousand pounds on this ad. Like, <laughs> like this was a big investment for us. And this was still seed stage. Yeah, it was yeah. And um, but five thousand pounds, yeah, genuinely felt like wow, this is a real big deal for us. Mm-hmm. So off we trotted up to Manchester to go and film it. It was cheaper to do it up there. Uh, I was playing the part of chef, and uh, and my other co-founder from the UK, Ed, he was um, he was the delivery boy. And and so we shot this advert, and it was funny. I I've mentioned this story a few times too, but. That ad, we we didn't replace it for a couple of years, and um, and so I think that and it ended up being one of the most high high performing ads we ever produced, mm. even though it was the lowest price. Wow! And I'm convinced it was because we showed it for two years, and it literally brainwashed people. Partly because I was so tense during the filming of it because I was quite nervous that I didn't blink once when I was delivering <laughs> my lines. So you've just got this like slightly crazy wired looking chef, like really giving you the hard sell on HelloFresh boxes. Yeah. Um, but it seemed to it seemed to work. And the orders started rolling in after so would you say the T V ads were kind of like the thing that moved the needle for you guys? No, actually and this is something that I think people might benefit from is that if you've got a product which is particularly if it's a new product and for for us recipe boxes was we were creating a new category so people need to really be educated educated yeah Yeah. and and that's an that's a tough process it's Mm. a very very arduous process and if you want to educate people you can't do it with a tv ad really or a, a billboard in in piccadilly circus you need to do it person to person. Mm. You need to be there to speak with them, to respond to their questions, to give them reassurance, to give them that passion and show them why do I even want this product because my life seemed just fine up until now mm. and I know where I get my shopping from, so why do I need this? So you need to be there in front of them doing that. So we found that door-to-door sales, going to the good food or the taste of London or what have you, those were the places where we were getting traction because mm. we could actually stand there and tell people about what we were doing. Um, that made a big, big difference. Yeah. And what was some kind of like, so at this point, you're getting a, a steady stream of customers, right? People mm-hmm. are signing up Yeah. and then you figure out, look, we need to actually teach these people what we're doing first and then sales really started skyrocketing. Yeah. And then um, what were some of the challenges along the way and how were you guys funding this? Were your investors like, okay, this is we can see this working or how was that kind of like dynamic at that point? Yeah, we, um, so we, like any company, had targets that we needed to meet and they were stretch targets. They were, they were ambitious and we were ambitious. But what we were able to do is each time we managed to hit the target and so mm. our investors would then give us funding to then continue for another period and we were in constant dialogue with them and 
and they have a lot of experience as well, um, particularly in e-commerce. So there was a lot of learnings from that. Mm. And actually, something that was really, really great for us was that it wasn't just that it was us working on the, the challenges in isolation in the UK, because the guys had also set up founding companies in Netherlands, Germany, Australia. It meant that if they learned something that worked, they would tell all the other countries. And so we would we were all working on the, the challenges from a different in, in, from different angles. Mm. But as soon as somebody found a solution, we'd share it with everybody else. So there was this amazing accelerated learning. And I guess getting into some of the, like the into the details of HelloFresh, talk about some of the challenges of like food, for example. I mean, handling food is a big task. Mm-hmm. Food goes off; it's perishable. Uh, if you don't keep it at the right temperature, it can like kill somebody. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever killed anyone? No, I'm joking. Um, what have been some of the like? What were some of the challenges in the early days with handling that level of of food? Ultimately, yeah. So when we first started. So we were thinking how, yeah, you're exactly right. How are we going to transport this food and make sure that it stays absolutely fresh? Yeah, it sounds like a the, logistical nightmare. Yeah, the first thought is, well, okay, what, uh, what, do, what, does, what does a grocery delivery service normally do, like supermarket delivery? Oh, well, they have refrigerated vans. Mm. Okay, well, there's no way we're going to get a fleet of refrigerated <laughs> vans. Yeah. We, you know, we don't have that kind of cash. So instead we needed to make the box refrigerated by by itself so the box could travel. So we actually, it was a really interesting time. This is one of those things which is definitely, it marks out people who have succeeded from perhaps those who have struggled. Uh, and that is a, a willingness to, to, to really try things which are like kind of scary, kind of like taking a dive into the unknown. Mm. And for us, that dive into the unknown was getting in touch with universities and saying, okay, listen, um, we this is this is the challenge that we have here. And we want to create a some kind of system for transporting our fresh produce. Um, can you can you help us with the problem? So we actually had people doing research into it. I don't know the exact details because it wasn't me that was looking into that. But Essentially, we had a, a research team, and I believe it was at a university, coming up with some solutions and, and actually testing different kinds of boxes in heated environments wow. so that we could see what worked and what didn't work. Um, anyway, paid, paid research? or <laughs> I, I, It was that long ago that I don't even yeah. remember. But, but what did come out of that was that we created the... We have a cardboard box, which then had... Uh, a recyclable sheep's wool lining inside the box mm. and we put some ice packs in there as well um, and that would keep all of the, the the produce cold so that that opened up everything because suddenly we could then work with um, people who could do the delivery for us mm. and the boxes could travel far and wide yeah it was that was a game changer so big challenge um, definitely in quite a, an innovative way of, of trying to solve it but it, it ultimately led to to something that was a game changer yeah totally and i want to shift gears a little bit more and talk a bit about the competitors mm-hmm. so you guys 
as you said earlier, basically defined a new category. This is a completely new thing. Yeah. And there's been a ton of copycats ever since. You've got the Blue Aprons, Plated. You've got Gusto, who are over here in the UK. How have you guys... I mean, first of all, does that kind of like encourage you or does that make you feel a certain way to know that people are copying this thing that you guys have defined? Mm-hmm. And secondly, how are you guys managing comp- competition? Like, how yeah. do you guys fend off comp- competitors? Do you know, I think there's a lot to be said for keeping your competitors in your peripheral vision, mm-hmm. but ultimately running your own race. Yeah. If you obsess over what your com- competitors are doing, I think that can distract you from following your own path and finding your own way, finding your own way to success. I don't see competition, I don't see competition as something that is um, intimidating or or something that is off-putting because ultimately when another company joins the market, they they're not eating our pie, they're just making the pie bigger. Mm. educating the market too they are just showing the market that in fact this isn't something that's here today gone tomorrow this is something that's very much here to stay and and them stepping into the market is an endorsement of that and ultimately what are people going to do they're going to try every single company out there if they're a, if they're a savvy consumer and they're going to end up sticking with the one that they like the most yeah. and that's where i believe we have a competitive advantage because our recipes are the most delicious, the most fresh, the most simple. And I know that not simply out of some misguided sense of pride, but because we test those recipes on hundreds of thousands of customers. So every single week, we send out a survey with our recipes, asking the customers, what do you like? What do you dislike? Give us a score. And then we get all of their replies coming through. We get over a quarter of a million replies wow. to that survey a month. That's great. And we use artificial intelligence to machine read it now, to pull out the trends. So we read a sample of the comments ourselves, we get the software to help pull trends out, and then we know not just we're not just guessing what people want in their boxes. We know exactly what they want because they've told us. We know so we know that these these are literally the most tried and tested recipes in the world, mm. which is why Excitingly, now we've just released our first cookbook, which yeah. is which is called Recipes That Work because they are recipes that work. Like they it's the top one hundred recipes and techniques from the last six years, and um, as tried and tested by hundreds of thousands of customers. Yeah. So that's you know that's where we really re- that's where we're running our own race, and that's where we're really really putting the effort in to understand what our customers want and to use a much used phrase, customer centricity. Yeah, like yeah. it's like putting them at the center of our decision-making process. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, we've spoken about kind of like the journey of HelloFresh up to, to this point. What have been, or what was like kind of like the lowest point in this journey? I mean, it sounds like it's all gone, you know, according to plan so far, but I'm sure there were some dark moments where you thought maybe this thing's not gonna work. Um, do you know, for me, I, I've been asked this question before and, and, and I don't know if it's because I see life through rose-tinted glass, but for me, it wasn't, there weren't dark moments. There were moments when I was exhausted, um, when I was just running on caffeine and adrenaline and just trying to get through through 
all of the work that we had in front of us, but it was never anything less than completely exciting because it felt like we were doing something for ourselves and it felt like we were on a mission because mm. when we started, we said, we want to change the way people eat forever. We want to we want to democratize good food. And they, all, they were quite lofty ambitions considering our, our small beginnings. Yeah. But we believed those things. And that for me is the thing that's always kept me going is knowing that actually what we do is something that is mission led. We have purpose. We know that we are making people's lives better because they tell us they are. And if anybody is starting a company these days, my greatest recommendation is that you put that sense of mission and purpose at the core of what you're doing. Because Mm. in the tough times, which there will inevitably be many tough times, is that thing that you'll hold on to. Because if you're just chasing the money, trust me, it's not going to... It might work out for you. You might get the money. Will you get the happiness? I don't know about that. And yeah, I know it's a cliche. Oh, you know, money doesn't buy happiness um, um, and what have you. But trust me, you do have to work on something you're passionate about. If you're just, if you're chasing after some undefined sum of money in your current account and all the trappings of wealth which other people have if you're chasing after somebody else's dream a dream that is not authentic to who you are you'll spend a good proportion of your life chasing after it and if you do eventually get it which is going to be hard anyway because the incongruity of the fact that you're chasing something that's not authentic to yourself but if you do achieve it there's a very good chance you're going to look and think, oh, shit, this isn't even my dream. I didn't even, this is someone else's dream. Mm. I don't even want this. Like, look at this life that I have. Mm. No, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. So I think having a sense of like self-awareness and authenticity in what you're chasing after is huge. And it's something that I didn't have in my 20s, but it's something that I believe I'm developing now in my 30s. That's good. I mean, starting off from, you know, 10 deliveries in your living room to now being in a publicly traded company. I mean, did you ever see this happening? I, not only being a publicly traded company, but even when you guys, I mean, up until the IPO, you guys raised over $300 million. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is insane. I, I just look at it and I, and I smile and I, I guess I don't, I don't think so much about that stuff because I'm still very much just always thinking about what's the next like what's the next thing that we can do and mm. I still I'm still so engaged in the day to day of what we're doing in the business that that I I don't often like take that step back from the big picture and and when I do in fact yeah you're right it's you look and you think wow it's yeah. it's irrecognizable from what it used to be but it's exciting in a in a completely different way now it was exciting back then because it felt like the Wild West. Yeah. And so we were just building this thing and it was scrappy. And now for me, it's incredibly exciting because I feel as though we're delivering on that original mission. And and we can, we're doing something which is a force for, for real good. Yeah. And that's the, that's that's when I stand back and I get excited about it and I think, wow. And and I guess we did, we had that mission at the beginning. Yeah, we did say we want to change the way people eat forever. And 
Did we believe it? I guess we did kind of believe it. Yeah, well on your way. Yeah. Well on your way. Alright, I want to shift gears a bit now and walk towards wrapping up. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Okay, so what has been or who has been your biggest inspiration today? My mum. Mum, okay. 100%. Her, her work ethic, her, she was a single parent. Her, her hopes for me, um, the way she pushed me to never settle for second best, mm. uh, is something that that yeah changed the course of my life. That's good. Favorite podcast? Favorite podcast? Aubrey Marcus. Uh, he has uh, a company called On It in the states. Yes. Yeah. Very very interesting guy. When I listen to his podcast, I f- it's it's great to hear a really strong guy talking about things which guys don't normally talk about mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and um and and being vulnerable basically mm-hmm. opening his heart up and so when i listen to it i feel like i'm listening to to an older brother even though in fact i think he's slightly younger than me <laughs> have you been to on it yet no i would love to go though because uh they've got a sick gym there very sick yeah uh favorite blog favorite blog uh i would say uh there is a young lady called Angelica Alana who is a, a development coach, and um, and I love reading her things because again, it's stuff that teaches me about communication, about the power of just vulnerability, yeah. um, about things which typically guys a bit too tough to talk about yeah um so anything that's really like that kind of self self-development for well i don't really like that phrase but things which <laughs> things which are kind of expanding my mind and, and teaching me how to be a slightly more yeah rounded um centered individual yeah that's good favorite book favorite book depends if we're talking about fiction my favorite book is called earth sea and by ursula Le Guin. it's um, a fantasy book which i read when i was about 10 and I'll still read it once every few years now. Wow. I love it because it's about it's basically the original Harry Potter, darker, and about this kid that comes from nothing to become the most powerful wizard in the world. Wow! And I don't know, just there was just something in that that you know, as a kid, I would fantasize about like being the protagonist in these stories. Mm. You know, same with uh, the Never Ending Story. I used to imagine myself as this kid, like I would open up a book and I'd be sucked into the story. But if I'm talking about books which are incredibly useful, I tell you what, recently, because I could mention individual books, but if you just want one place where you can learn so much, it's Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Because there you've got him distilling all of the wisdom of however 100 100 plus podcasts into little bite-sized chunks, and I've found it fascinating. That's good. Uh, favorite Instagram account. Favorite Instagram account. Uh, probably Project Van Life. Project Van Life. It's basically about people who convert uh, camper vans or any kind of van into little mobile homes, but they do it in the craziest way. Like yeah, you want to like pimp my van. They're like pimp my van, but but with really really super cool style they make them look like the interior of like the coolest coffee shop you've ever seen wow. and then they'll travel around the world in their van and just the idea of that nomadic life is highly appealing to me very 
what's something you wish you could do that you cannot currently do? Dance. Really? Yeah. Really like, I have a real, I think I've got this slight hang up about, I, I tend to only do things that I'm either good at already or I'm so bad at it that in fact, um, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> but but there's like this middle ground where there is, I just, I, I think I must clearly be far too concerned about what people think mm. because like, like doing like formal dance moves and stuff like that, if someone dragged me up onto a dance floor and said, right, we're gonna do like a- Choreography. Yeah, I'd be like, oh my God, I feel so awkward right now. I like, <laughs> to this like childlike state. Yeah. Um, so I, but I think and I think it's interesting actually because I know that it's not just about dancing it's about something that's a little bit deeper than that and so it's an interesting one for me to overcome um, but what I will say in about that is that and about fear is that something I've definitely been telling myself even more recent even more recently is that if fear is the only reason you're not doing something then that is not a good enough excuse not to do it and you yeah. just have to go for it yeah uh, what's one piece of advice that you would give to your 21-year-old self? Have the courage of your convictions. Don't don't listen to the naysayers. Um, believe in yourself. It's and, and I would say, you know what? You're going to be okay. You're yeah. going to be okay. Everything's going to just work out just fine for you. Just, just like, yeah, be courageous. And don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, and just go for it because... Because what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously. That's come up a lot lately. Yeah. Um, if you had $100 to spend in your hometown or your favorite city, what do you spend it on? $100? Uh, or pounds. I'm just 100 pounds. Uh, 100% it would be, I would spend it on food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, this, this, that, that, that's completely, that's the easiest thing yes, to yes. answer. Um, what kind of food would it be? Man, I'm obsessed with Home Slice, this pizza place in Shoreditch. But I'm also obsessed with another place down the road called um, Little Duck, which is does this really beautiful, simple, rustic food. But for me, like, I don't spend my money on. I, I don't. I don't want for material things. It, it. I'm well known in the office for only wearing ever blue jeans and white t-shirts. If I don't wear it, if I wear anything different, people are like this is what's going on. And I'm like, no, it's wash day. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have a car. I don't want a car. Yeah. I have, I have a, an apartment that I love in, and, I, and I, and I feel so at home there and it's beautiful and I love experiences. I love going away. I love holidays. I love spending time with friends and I love food. And those are the things I spend my money on. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's the one thing that startups should ignore in the early days? Oh man, what should they ignore? Uh, again, I think I think I would say ignore ignore the naysayers because because if you've got an idea which is really out there, well, there's going to be so many people telling you this cannot work. Like no one's ever done this before. To which my answer is, yeah, that's exactly the point. That's mm. why we're doing it. So. Don't listen to the opinions of others. Like that, you know, it's like Steve Jobs said, was it the people who think they're cra who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are usually the ones that do. Uh, and there's 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 so much wisdom in that. Yeah. Um, so obviously, some might argue because you guys have IPO'd, there isn't much vision left for the company. Mm. <laughs> but what is your vision 
for HelloFresh still today? And has it changed? So there's my vision and then there's also the vision of our global CEOs, Dominic and Thomas. And, and I know that speaking for myself, my vision is of, of continuing to create a product which genuinely is actually making a difference to people's lives and to doing that to an even greater extent to really delve into how can we make people's lives more simple um, how can we get this product out to to um, to, to a wider group of people because I think there's so much benefit in it mm. and and I'm you know I'm pretty sure that aligns with the with the vision of um, our global CEOs as well uh, it's really just it's it's, just in, it's taking what we've done and it's optimizing it and it's and it's never sitting on our laurels. I think even if you're standing still, you're frankly still going backwards because everyone mm. else is moving forward. Yeah. So it's it's not just settling for doing what we're doing now, but thinking, okay, well, what's the next trend? What do we need to be looking out for? Mm. How can we leverage new technology uh, to 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 make our our service even better for people? Yeah. That's good. Patrick, where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? They can find me um, on Instagram. Um, it's at Patrick Drake Chef. Where can people find the new book? <laughs> Thank you for asking that question. That's a great question. They can find the book on Amazon.co.uk. It's okay. recipes that work, 100 best recipes and techniques from HelloFresh from the last six years. And yes, there is that little competitive part of me that wants us to get to number one on Amazon. And I'm absolutely determined. But it is such a great book, honestly. It's I've actually been cooking from it for the last few weeks at home wow. anyway. Yeah. And I do just step back from each recipe and I think, whoa, I just did that. That was great. Like, look, half an hour and I've got this beautiful meal. So you can actually get a free Kindle edition at the moment on Amazon. So if you click on Kindle, it says zero pounds. Give it a look. And then if you can leave a review and a star rating, that would be really, really helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Do you want to give our listeners like a... 50% off the HelloFresh boxes. <laughs> you know what? I think I, I can actually find, I'm going to speak to the guys after this and I'm pretty sure we can find some kind of code. All right, we can do that. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Just want to say another massive thank you to Patrick for coming on the show. We actually done the interview at the HelloFresh offices in London, which literally looks like something out of a storybook. It was incredible. As mentioned in the show, Patrick has recently released his cookbook called Recipes That Work, with over 100 recipes from the HelloFresh catalogue. So be sure to check that out. As always guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review on the Apple Podcasting app. They honestly do go a long way. All right guys, until next time, keep grinding.